Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Hopefully you are off to a great start this week, enjoying life, working hard, and getting some time to escape to the hobby, being a collector, digging in, connecting with other individuals, all those things that we do that keeps us in this damn hobby. Hopefully you are making it happen. As I record this, it is Sunday. I'm feeling sore. I spent the morning doing something I wasn't quite expecting. Having some work done, baby proof in the house a little bit. All you parents out there have been through this drill. I got a lot of records. I'm a vinyl collector, not just sports cards, man. I'm a collector of physical assets. My wife said, You know what? When this baby starts walking, when this baby starts crawling, she's going to be pulling your records off the shelf. So we're getting built ins, non negotiable. We're making it happen. So I made a couple decisions throughout this process. I said, Okay. Guess I can't really counter this. I I have some say in the budget, so I can be there for that. And then maybe when this takes place. Well, we got a text message from our contractor Saturday saying, how about Monday? So Sunday, woke up, time to get to work. So I just spent the entire morning moving my record collection from downstairs to upstairs so he can do his damn thing. And boy, records aren't great to move. I'm telling you, man, especially when you have thousands. So I'm recording this and behind me, I've got a sea of vinyl, just collections on top of collections on top of collection. I'm going to wake up and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of bed tomorrow morning. Maybe I just stay here in the office, sleep the night here. At least I got some good tunes to listen to, man. You know what I'm talking about. But as I'm moving these records up from downstairs to upstairs, I'm looking at all these physical pieces of music and thinking about why I spent money on buying the asset, why I have these. And to be honest with you, I started to draw parallels with the with sports cards and why I'm involved. I want the I want the physical piece. I want it because to me, holding certain records triggers stories and memories of specific times in my life when that album got released and where I was and then how I have this piece of music and how I can then talk to my daughter about why this band mattered. And it also gives me a stronger connection with that band. I'm supporting the musician by buying their, their vinyl. And so I think a lot about the connection we all have with sports cards and we buy these little pieces of cardboard because we want to deepen a connection that we already have with an existing player, players or teams or sets or years. And so to me, some people that aren't collectors of physical assets think we're crazy. Really? Like you can just go to Spotify or Apple music and play the damn songs. Yeah, no shit. I know that, but it's not just about the output. It's about the whole process. And that's why I think with sports cards, it's all about the process. It's not simplifying the process. We don't want simple as collectors. 
We want to be put to work. We want to have fun. We want to go hunting and digging and trying to find these cards that remind us of these moments. And that's why it's so damn fun. And that's why we're sucked in. So I hadn't really thought about it. But this morning was one of those moments where I I thought, you know what? Like I'm beginning to realize why my record buying is runs parallel with my card buying. And it's all at the end of the day, kind of the same thing. It's exploring passions and connections and nostalgia and all that stuff. So we can tell stories or be prepared to tell stories to people that we love. And I think that's pretty damn cool. I am going to talk about a couple, three, three primary topics in this one. Rare versus scarce. I saw this one on Josh Johnson, Cardboard Chronicles stories in relation to some of the recent sales and auctions. And I thought, you know what, this is a fun topic. And then this morning I was listening to the crossover while I was walking my child. Yes, uh, have sports cards tuned in, listening to content while walking my child. Best of both worlds. Um, And they explored it a little further. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about some um, perception about the hobby and where it's going and just some of these decisions that have made and some funny business that's gone on and just my take on the situation. I think there's something that I'm beginning to see that I haven't heard many people talk about, but I'm going to share some thoughts there. And we're going to end with a collector topic that is coming from you the collecting community, and there's going to be some stuff in between, but let's get this show on the freaking road. I am excited. I am edging closer by the time this goes live to my Las Vegas getaway to go see AEW Double or Nothing pay-per-view, man. I'm going with my buddy. My wife is going to be there. She's not going to the show, but she's going to have fun, do all the Vegas things. I'm going to go out there um, and enjoy some live professional wrestling. It is a little bit of sacrilegious. I feel a little bad. I'm leaving my city on the biggest weekend that the city has. And that's the race weekend, uh, Memorial day weekend. And it's okay. I'm at, I'm at terms with this. Like there'll be plenty more races that I can go to, but man, with, when you have kids and their schedules and getaways are few and far between, and you have to figure it out with other friends. This was the weekend that Worked for us, and we got to see. We're going to get to see some professional wrestling on the other side. CM Punk versus Hangman Adam Page in the main event. I am excited. So you might see some posts from me next Sunday or this Sunday. I guess I'll be in Vegas enjoying that. Also, what happened this week that I just wanted to comment on was the NBA draft lottery and my squad. Typically, not necessarily involved, or if they're involved, they're at the very end. But we have the sixth pick, the Indiana Pacers. It's the first time the Pacers have picked in the top 10 since 1989. How about that? I am preparing for a baller. I'm preparing to have somebody come in and be someone I can be excited about and might open that door to collecting some basketball. Maybe. Who knows? But I'm excited. It's always nice when you're in rebuild, reevaluation mode and you're bringing in younger talent the NBA draft rules. I've been watching the playoffs. Doesn't They haven't made any sense to me. Western, Eastern Conference, everything's kind of flipped on its head. Who knows how this whole thing is going to shake out. I'm watching the playoffs. I'm having fun. There's a lot of good action going on. And it's always how it is, but it just seems to me that I haven't had a dog in the race for like a year 
seems like the Pacers have been out for a year, but it's just been a couple months. So I'm hoping for a, a good close to this year. Hopefully we get a good finals that goes seven games and can be highly entertaining. I know a lot of you out there collect basketball. A lot of you are heavily involved in being fans of these players and these teams. And the NBA is damn fun, that's for sure. And so I'm excited. And hopefully I we can Pacers can bring in a guy that you all want to collect here coming down the road. All right, let's jump into this rare versus scarce conversation. I thought this was an interesting topic. So uh, this all started for me when I saw Josh post on his story. There was something he pulled, and um, it was a good breakdown. But it said, when we say rare, it usually means that the object is valuable, but not ne- not a necessity and hence not in demand. However, scarce indicates that the object is not available in sufficient quantity to meet its demand. Such distinction in words holds great importance in academic writing. And so when I saw this, I started to think about it from my collecting perspective. And then I started to think about it from the market perspective. And I think we all get caught up confusing maybe rare and scarce at times where we see cards that are rare because potentially they have manufactured serial numbers on on them. However, they're cards that we see in every premier auction and they pop up regularly, so it doesn't necessarily mean that they're scarce, okay? So from my vantage point, those cards typically aren't the cards in my PC that I desire. I think one of the best opportunities that we have as collectors is the ability to curate a collection that's unique to our own personal tastes and doesn't necessarily reflect what other people are buying it. And that's just the way we can roll in the hobby. And I think it's pretty damn cool. And some of us, you know, I think it's easy to get caught up into this mainstream vortex where you feel like just because someone's talking about a specific card, that is the card that we need to go buy and we need. In all actuality, most of the time, the card you really want or you should be pursuing is the one that hasn't been popped up and or appeared in auction and maybe even the card you don't know about, but you need to do some exploring. So I thought, I think this was an interesting topic that came at the right time. We'll be doing a Peyton Manning top 10 here in a couple weeks. Um, the captain 37, Kevin Randall um, hosts this and it'll be interesting to see everyone's top tens and they're going to be broken down into a couple buckets, but one bucket will be kind of shiny cards and inserts um, that is happening. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to rack my brain. It is the second Wednesday, I believe in June. So we'll be going live on Kevin's channel and we'll be sharing our favorite shiny and insert Manning cards, um, which is fun. And there'll be another one that's rookies, patches and autographs. That'll be, there'll be a part two. He just did this with Brady, but it'll be interesting to see everyone sharing those cards and how many similarities and differences there are. My guess is there'll be a lot of differences based on Manning's collection, and we all have different tastes and what we like. And so I think this topic of rarity rarity and scarcity has really, really kind of poked his head out with some of these auctions that are happening and some of the fallout and people may be a little confused and saying, you know, the market's going down. Look at where these prices are. When all actuality, it's just been the same cards that are being posted over and over and over again. And yes, we might be at a downturn in the hobby, but if those cards are continuing to appear over and over and over again, um, 
and we are in a period that is not so great for the hobby, it's all likelihood like those cards are going to go down. And so I've got a couple examples that I just want to call out. Um, Josh posted these to his stories, but just to give some context and then on the flip side, maybe present an, an option of a card that fits into the rare and scarce categories that shows that the market is actually performing, but in just different scenarios. So if you look at the, like, for example, the PWCC auction, if you look at some, some examples, and these are ones I pulled from Josh's story, you got the Charizard Hollow PSA 10. We're talking Pokemon here on Stacking Slabs. How you doing? That card, I mean, we remember a year, two years ago, the hype train around this card, okay? Well, the population of this card is 121, okay? 121. It's hard to believe that a card, one card, with a population of 121 could make 121 people a millionaire. It just doesn't make sense. This card sold for 264K. Still substantial. Well, in March of 2022, it's 420K. Okay. Again, rarity. I don't know. It depends on what you consider rarity. 121 doesn't really seem too rare to me. Scarce. Not necessarily if it just sold in March of 22. How about the Mahomes NT RPA BGS9? Sold for 84K. The last sale was 181K. Again, another example. Doesn't mean necessarily the sky is falling, but I think it's just in a down market, a card popping up that's popped up before. You've got the NTRPA of Trey Young, BGS 9.5, sold for 43K in May of last year, 72K. 2003 Rookies and Stars, LeBron James Gold Refractor, out of 50, 168K. Last sale was 264K, a population of that card of 25. So thinking about critically about the rarity and scarcity when you're buying cards that's thousands of dollars and really being clear on the definition, I think is really important. Here's an example of it going the other direction. So there, 2014 Flawless, there's significance around Flawless, game-worn patches, first year of Flawless. The, their Tom Brady just sold. BGS 9.5, 15, which I believe is the Ruby version, sold for 105K. That's a big sale for that card. Now, if you look at one year ago, almost to the day, the PSA 10 version of the Ruby out of 15 sold for 78. So that card hadn't appeared in a year. And now the BGS 9.5 has outpaced, or not outpaced, but has sold for more than the PSA 10. Now, the, if the PSA 10 went up for sale in six months, chances are it would go up. So I think it's just, there, there's a lot that we need to think about and a lot that we need to consider as we're thinking about the current conditions of the market and what's happening and what we should believe and think. I think, one, there's the environmental factors. If you listen to the episode with Gelman, he brought these up. Environmental factors that are happening in with the economy right now, and those, without a shadow of a doubt, impact the buying and selling of sports cards. You got to think about mainstream cards. Influencers pump these things, Okay. Look at these sales. Look at these things. It's all the same cards over and over again. I think people with pockets feel like they have to, ha deep pockets feel like they have to have them for status so they can, you know, this mainstream platform has been talking about it. Go look over here. I've got these cards. So I think 
don't get not getting sucked up into what everyone is talking about because we all know if a bunch of people are already talking about it, chances are it's too late and all good things kind of come to an end, especially when they're th- cards that are readily available over and 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 over again. PSA 10 Jordan Flair, 86. We can all, we've all seen it. I think just the thought and the quote of comparison is the thief of joy is something to bring back up here. And just as a reminder, got to do your homework, got to take into consideration and also just don't buy cards just because the mainstream says it or the auction house says these are the cards. Chances are the better deals and the, the purchases of value and the purchases that are going to make you the happiest are happening in the other direction. You go, go in that other direction. So I think when pop reports can grow, you better be careful. I think that's a rule of thumb. If you know that a card, that a pop report can grow in the sale price is you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Like It's not a great way to mitigate risk against your purchase, knowing that a pop report can grow by 2, 3x. That's something fundamentally that we should all be in, in, considering. And I think people get caught up in this whole grading and pop report. And oh, I'm going to grade this. And, make, and it's, it's fine when the market is, is performing in its well, but when it's not, those are the first cards that are going to come come down and crash. So I think it's just the question I like am thinking about is like, well, what what can we do? I think we can collect for ourselves and not for the mainstream. This isn't a competition, okay? We're not trying to compete against. I've had a couple conversations in my DMs with friends. Collecting is not a competition; it's a hobby, and we're supposed to be doing this for ourselves. Continue to create content around the cards that you love and help provide inspiration for others. And creating content doesn't mean like you have to go, you know, start a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever. No, it's just posting cards and talking about them. That's great content to me. And the more you do that, the more you're going to give others inspiration and they'll it'll drive connection with their pages and the cards that, that you have. I think too few at the top are talking about the same things and that same thing is so boring. I don't give a shit about record sales. I I just don't. Like, I'm not going to get caught up in that. You know, and I think about like Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is a phenomenal player. One of my favorite players to watch every Sunday. He's amazing. However, like the hobby's got twisted and it's the way his prices were. And he's the goat of goats and all this. It's just like, that's just not the case. It's like, maybe I'm beefing because I'm, I'm a Peyton guy and... If you look at the hobby on the surface, Mahomes is the greatest player of all time. But I just think we need to slow our roll a little bit. Slow our roll. And at the end of the day, buy cards that are going to make you freaking happy. And if you're going, trying to buy rarity, make sure you're considering the scarcity component. I had a PSA sub that came back this week, fired up about a went live wrestling card stuff. Man, I was thrilled at this sub it was good it performed well like hit some gems some some if you want to check it out it's on my page i got the 2014 cody Rhodes pop one gold refractor posted it already i'm thrilled about this card um got that one mac drew mcintyre's 2014 i hit a gem got a kofi kingston hit a nine on that in 2014 got some style stuff had some transcendent stuff some aew cards there's cards that i'm selling uh, put those up for auction, but it is just, 
activity, man. I can't preach it enough, but just constantly having activity. And I think the more activity that I have, getting subs back, finding out what I want to keep, covering the cost, selling some stuff, it is just a fun way to operate. Had a couple quotes that happened this week that I think are important to call out. And think we're taking these into consideration. They we I don't want to get into talking about it because it's already been covered, but we all saw what happened with Platinum Breaks, that whole fiasco. And then there was the whole Backyard Breaks and that whole fiasco of people not understanding why Luber's going and aligning with them on their break and all this stuff. So I think like two quotes that came out were one from the platinum side, which was while our style is not for everyone. And then a post that was reposted by card porn um, said was from Josh's DMS where he said, do they have a style that people dislike? Absolutely. In reference to backyard. And I saw these two quotes like within moments of each other and they're referencing style. And I think to me, style is a kind of a, uh, it's an interesting way to describe something. And I'm not saying like I create this show and I've got a certain way I go about my business and it's not for everyone. And I get that and I understand that. But also like you can't say that People have a certain style, and so we understand you might not like them if it's dishonest, if it's focused on greed, if they're using manipulation. I think these are like the traits of the underbelly of the hobby, okay? It's not a style. It's just bullshit we need to call out. So I thought that was interesting and something that I wanted to think about or bring up on this. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand, like, you know, why is why is Josh Luber working with Backyard? Why are they doing this? And I think, like, for me, there's a lot that's happening with our hobby that is ruffling collector's feathers. And I think with change, this happens. It's inevitable. And I think I personally understand that there's different flavors of the hobby. Not everyone is going to do the hobby like me, nor do I expect them. And I think at some level, different flavors of the hobby re- really help. And I think when you're thinking, talking about growth, the idea is there's all these different pockets. And so that helps grow the hobby. But I think it's also one of the things that doesn't get talked about in this growth consideration is the heels, the bad guys that do bad things. I think there's a specific demographic that the bad actors prey on. And to be honest with you, my thought process is based on everything that I've seen is there are people that are younger than the standard listener of the Stagging Slab podcast. I, there are so many awesome breakers out there, breakers that are my friends, no doubt. I'm not here to give breakers a bad name. I think it provides a need in the hobby. It brings cards to surface. Those cards that we might not see enter the market. People go after them. I get it 100%. But then a bunch of these activities that are happening that are negative are happening from break. I think when you're thinking about like fanatics and you're thinking about alignment, you know, you look at the breaking community and it's a primary distribution channel for these folks, right? But, you know, there's this gambling component, right? And for us as collectors, we can only control what we what we can control, okay? We can only control what we control. And I've been preaching segmentation since we started the show. And just because you like sports 
doesn't mean you spend a whole afternoon watching rowing competitions on ESPN The Ocho. That's kind of the way the hobby is right now. Just because you're in the hobby, this means you have to do these certain things. Not the case. Collectors operate a lot differently than people who buy into breaks and are looking for a flip. And dealers might operate differently than someone who, dealer at a show might operate differently than someone who owns a hobby store. There's just different variations and a different variety of the hobby. And we all need to take into consideration. And with that means content with that means discussion with that means the way we talk about cards and i think collector driven content is more necessary than ever it is more necessary than ever and so i get why josh luber gets on backyard breaks and is trying to say you know what their style is not for everyone but like i'm going to do this he does that because it's best for his role and it's best for business of fanatics from his perspective right because aligning with a younger demo, right? These people are VCon, okay? These people are VCon doing that thing, doing the NFT thing. And it's just, it's a section of the hobby that looks a lot different than the way that if you're listening to Stacking Slabs, probably think about your hobby and how you collect. That's fine. It is what it is. And people can get upset and people can call people out. But I think what's important is not necessarily the why or why they shouldn't, we can only control what we can control. And so I think the, the, the call for me and what I would think about and what I'm hoping for is that, okay, if people are doubling down on this approach to the hobby that's more gambling in nature, that's more aimed at a younger demo, like that's fine. But that means we got to contribute as collectors and we got to create really good content and we got to have discussion and dialogue about products about significance about um, opportunities and we just need to double down and focus in on the collecting portion it's never going to go away but we got to keep the voice heard and we need to do whatever we can to amplify it and you better be damn sure that i'm going to do whatever i can to keep collecting a part of the conversation on the stacking slabs podcast and if you're not already hit the follow button subscribe do all the things tell a damn friend you're enjoying this podcast and follow me on Instagram. Do all those things. Slide into the DMs. Let's have a talk. I am excited to bring on my man, Timmer's Cards. He has an incredible story about a Vernon Davis superfractor. He is a passionate collector and he is someone, you know what? I was like, yeah, I need to have a collector on the show who tells stories, who's in it, who's been in it for a while, who can bring a collector voice to this program. And that is what I'm doing. I'm excited to bring on Tim this Friday. So if you're in it, if you're excited and you want to hear a conversation about collecting, you can find that on the Stacking Slabs podcast. Let's close it out here. Here is a guest topic that I thought was good. And I I thought it was good and it was relevant to me. Benor14 underscore sports cards asked the question, when and why the gold parallel took over the hobby seems like a recent phenomenon in the last two years. So I think my immediate reaction to this would be, I think gold parallels probably have always been a desirable card in the hobby, but maybe over the last few years, there has been some gasoline poured on this. And so I'm trying to think about it because I'm someone who buys a lot of gold stuff. And I try to consider my own 
purchasing when I approach this question. And I think I'll get into some personal stuff, but I think like some assumptions I'm going to make is that gold, anything is a sign of investment and it is a sign of good investment. So we want to invest in gold cards because we know gold is a investment that performs really well. There's something inherently that we're attracted to based on gold from a status perspective, right? If we have gold, anything, that means we probably have achieved a certain level of status in life or in the hobby. So from a a psychology perspective, we like gold. I think those are two just like thinking about it, zooming all the way out, good investment status thing. I think if you look at the track record of what's happened in the hobby from a performance perspective, that might help tell a story. So you can think about uh, the LeBron gold refractor chrome sale in January is 900K, almost a million. February, Curry's gold chrome sold for 575K. Trout had a gold Bowman Auto sell for 528K. And here's one where I think might be the gasoline of all gasoline, and that's just the rise of the gold prism, right? The gold prism has become one of the pillars of the hobby. And so Lucas sold in February for 780K. LeBron 12, 2012 sold recently for 571. The Giannis just sold this past week on PWCC for 528. So I think. You, at the top of the market, when you get gold prism prices performing at a certain rate, it trickles all the way down to us as the collector. And we say, okay, I might not collect Giannis, but there's a player that I am collecting. So I'm going to go seek the gold, pr- and the gold prism card. And that helps the collecting journey. For me, I, you ask me, what is the number one parallel that I buy? It's typically, Gold refractors, mostly tops chrome stuff, some prism stuff. I like to look at it at, at it at the simplest level. It feels like I have something important. I love the shine. I love the look of a gold card. And so they it, typically it means there's rarity around it, right? They're manufactured to 50, sometimes 10, other cases 100, 175. But I think it to me it comes down to the association, the appearance, the scarcity, all packaged up, and it makes a trait of a card that is going to be a card that we collect and other people collect for quite some time. That's just my my thought process, but really good question. Hope you enjoyed this episode covering a lot of ground. We will be back. On Friday, Timmer's Cards. Thank you so much for listening to the Stacking Slabs podcast. I do appreciate each and every one of you tuning in regularly, supporting me, supporting this show. Very, very honored to be able to provide a voice for the collector in 2022. You take care and I'll talk to you on Friday. 